Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, verses 1 through 11. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals. But you do not tend the flock. You have not straightened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over the face of the whole earth, and there was no one searching or seeking for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. Because my flock, lacking a shepherd, has become prey and food for every wild animal. And because my shepherds do not search for my flock, and because the shepherds feed themselves rather than my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my flock from them and prevent them from shepherding the flock. The shepherds will no longer feed themselves, for I will rescue my flock from their mouths, so that they will not be food for them. For this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's psalm is Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. We will read responsively by whole verse. Fret not yourself because of the ungodly, neither be envious of those who are evildoers. They shall soon be dried up like the grass, and be withered even as the green herb. Put your trust in the Lord, and do good. Dwell in the land, and surely you shall be fed. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you your heart's desire. Commit your way unto the Lord, and put your trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall make your righteousness clear as the light, and your just dealing as the noonday. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not grieve yourself over the one whose way prospers, over the one who carries out evil counsels. Refrain from wrath and let go of anger. Fret not yourself, lest you be moved to do evil. For evildoers shall be rooted out, but those who wait patiently for the Lord, they shall inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the ungodly shall be clean gone. You shall look for their place, and they shall not be there. But the meek-spirited shall possess the land, and shall be refreshed with an abundance of peace. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our New Testament reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-11. through 11. So I exhort the elders among you, 
as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not oppressing those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Our gospel lesson this morning is from Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at these two brothers. But Jesus called to them, Jesus called them to him, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and that their great ones exercised dominion over them. Shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. If you brought a Bible, you're going to want to follow along with this. Uh, grab your Bible and open it up to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like to follow along, there are blue Bibles on that low wooden bench in the back. This week we are wrapping up our sermon series on 1 Peter. And 1 Peter 5 deals with an important message for the elders in the church, and then there's a message for the congregants in the church, and then there's a final message for the entire church. Let me pray for us as we open God's word together. God, as we read your word, let us see Jesus today. As we sing your story, let us hear Jesus today. As we gather around your table, let us sense Jesus today. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. 
So, remember, Peter wrote this letter that, that we've been going through for the last couple of months. He wrote this letter to Christians living in the midst of the Roman world. And this letter was meant to be circulated from church to church and then read aloud in front of the entire congregation. And so far, this letter has been an encouragement, reminding us that we are to suffer when we follow Jesus because he suffered for us. That the life of following Christ is often one of suffering. This letter has been reminding the church that Christ is the cornerstone of this thing that we call the church. And so our whole lives are actually patterned after him. And the reason for that is because the life that we get to live is a life that was won for us by Christ's suffering and victory. So it's a letter to the whole church applicable to every single Christian. But then we get to this part. Beginning of chapter 5, where it's instructions for the elders. How the elders should behave in church. The elders is a really nice churchy word. So I want to I take a, a, just a quick minute to talk about kind of the biblical terms for leadership that show up in the New Testament. There have been books and books and books written about this. And so this is going to have to be a very, very brief skim. As it says here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, an elder in the church uh, is a presbyteros in Greek, the language that the New Testament was originally written in. And a presbyteros, or an elder, doesn't mean someone who's old in terms of years. It can, but it doesn't have to. What it means is someone who is spiritually mature, a spiritual older brother or sister in the faith. And so from that word presbyteros, we actually get a few different words uh, there's a, an entire denomination or, uh, of the Protestant church called the Presbyterian Church, which is directly from that word. It has to do with who is, who is in charge of the leadership of the church. The elders are, the presbyteroi are. This is also actually where we get the word priest. In English, the word priest came, came about over the course of a couple hundred years from the word presbyteros or elder. The word pastor doesn't come from this. The word pastor comes from a Latin word meaning shepherd. So, but if you see this, all of these words that we use in the church, elder and priest and pastor, they all kind of overlap a lot. So what I'm saying is that biblically, as a, as a priest, I am an elder in this church. And Peter says that, that the presbyteroi, that the elders, are to be shepherds or pastors. It says that a presbyteros or an elder should also be an overseer or an episkopos. And if that word sounds at all familiar, it's because we have an episcopal church structure. Because the word overseer, or to, to provide oversight, that's episkopos. And for all the times that it shows up in the Bible, across all the different books, it's been interpreted by several denominations, including ours, to mean bishop. So our church structure has an overseer, or an episkopos, a bishop, who is he provides oversight at a regional level and spiritual authority. And each parish is headed by one or more presbyteroi, or priests, or elders. My point is, and I do have one, my point is that this part of Peter's letter is addressed to the elders, the priests. And so it's almost like we've had this whole letter that's to all Christians, but here we kind of come to specific instructions for specific groups of people. And so it could almost be like a separate letter that, okay, here's a letter to the church, and then here's a little, here's a little note to the elders of how this whole thing's supposed to go. So we can go just read this on our own in our little clergy huddle, 
And we don't need to bother the people about it. Accept that. Accept that it's in this main letter. And I don't think that's by accident. It's not to save parchment. This letter would have been read and circulated to the entire congregation. And I think that Peter, much like the Apostle Paul in his letters, wants everybody to know that he was giving instructions to elders in how they're supposed to lead God's people. He wants everyone to see how this thing is supposed to be structured and led to show everyone kind of how the machinery of it works because that actually increases trust among the people who are being led. Because a shared life in Christ means that ideally, in a perfect world, it is a shared life of transparency and authenticity. In that way, the church is supposed to be like, it's basically like the opposite of a cult. In a cult, you have this veil of secrecy. You never really know where the levers of power are. You never know who the, who the insiders are. You never know what's going on you know, at the top or at the center of the group. But, but by bringing these instructions about elders to the entire church, it, it brings the, the power structure of the church out into the open. It shows that there are special commands and special constraints on leadership. Now, when I planned out this sermon series, on 1 Peter. We started shortly after Easter. We were going to end right at the beginning of September so that we could move back into the Old Testament. I did not plan this, but I do not believe it's an accident that we are coming to this passage in a sermon series on this book of the Bible on this week in the life of our church. So this part is about the elders, the pastors, and the leaders, and, and this church Restoration Anglican Church has always had two pastors. If you've ever heard me start the service by saying, Hi, welcome to Restoration Anglican Church. My name's Father Jay Trailer. I'm one of the pastors here. A few people used to challenge me on this, like I was trying to, you know, act like we had multiple pastors and we're, we're bigger than we really were, but that's, that's not why I say it. I say it because our bishop is also a pastor in this church. As a church plant, we are a mission of our diocese. We don't have a, a rector. We have two pastors. We have a vicar, me, and we have our bishop. And if I did my job right this week, almost all of you know this already, but as of two weeks from today, I'm no longer going to be the pastor in this church. A few months ago, Aubrey Spears and I entered into this extensive evaluation about the past, present, and future of Restoration Anglican Church. And Aubrey wrote a very long report. He submitted it to the bishop. And this week, the bishop determined two things. One, Restoration Church is going to continue. It's going to be led and fed, and the diocese and our sending church are going to do everything they can to help it thrive and grow, and praise God for that. And the second thing they decided is that I'm not going to continue here as the pastor. And the reason I'm talking openly about this is for the same reason that Peter includes his instructions on how elders are supposed to be, because we need, it's okay that we talk openly about this stuff. We should be talking openly about this stuff. Peter is transparent about how leadership in the church is supposed to be. He's giving instructions on how elders are supposed to lead the church, and I want to look at a couple of them. It says in verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is about to be revealed, 
Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So he's saying to the, to the presbyteroi, to the priests, be pastors. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So Peter's saying, look, I'm an elder too. And Peter was an apostle. He was one of the handful of people who were the witnesses to Christ's life and death and resurrection. Handpicked by Jesus to be the first ones to get sent out to get the church started. Peter was an eyewitness to what Jesus went through, getting pounded by the religious authorities, giving handed over to people who wanted him dead. And then he was eventually interrogated and beaten and crucified. Peter saw these things with his own eyes, so he can speak with great authority when he says not only I am a fellow elder, but I am a witness to Christ's sufferings. And because he can say these things, he can encourage the elders in the church in this way. Pastor these people well. Shepherd the flock well. He then goes into a, a list of opposites, starting in verse 2. Shepherd God's flock among you well, not overseeing or episcopusing, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God wants you to. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to your flock. So if you think about these pairs of opposites and kind of start rolling them around in your head, who does it sound like Peter's describing? Sounds an awful lot like Jesus. Without saying it explicitly, Peter is telling the elders to be imitators of how Jesus lived his life for his people. Not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly. Or to put it another way, don't be a shepherd because you think you have to. Do it because you want to. Because that's how God wishes you to live. If you are taking care of someone because you think you have to, not because you want to, what might eventually happen? You can start to see the person that you're taking care of as an obligation, as a hindrance to doing what you want. You start to see them as less than what they are as less than an image-bearer of the living God. You start to see them as a task. Don't, don't do that, Peter is saying. Don't feel compelled to be a leader. Enter into it willingly. Who does that sound like, if you know your Bible? John chapter 10, starting in verse 14. This is the Good Shepherd passage that actually normally goes with the Ezekiel reading that we have. And it's not a coincidence. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. He said, there is one flock and one shepherd. And he said, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order that I might take it up again. No one takes it away from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Peter is saying, don't be a shepherd because you think you have to. Be a shepherd because you want to. Jesus didn't die for us because he thought he had to. He did it because he wanted to. He did it willingly, out of love for his sheep. The next pair of opposites. Don't do it out of greed for money, but do it eagerly. After Jesus' baptism, he got taken into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. This is from Matthew chapter 4. The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, all of these I will give to you. If you, will fall, if you will but fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall, you shall love the Lord your God only 
and him only shall you serve. So rather than being gifted with the riches of all the kingdoms in the world, Jesus spent the next three years of his life in ministry depending on the kindness and the largesse of others. He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to live his head. And so elders, don't seek leadership in this covenant family out of greed. Jesus didn't. Could have had anything he wanted. Picked a life of sacrifice. He says, do it eagerly. So that's eagerly, like find new ways to serve rather than finding new ways to line your own pockets. Final pair of opposites here. Don't be, don't be domineering over those entrusted to you or lording it over those entrusted to you, but instead be an example to your flock. He's saying that elders shouldn't lord their authority over the flock, but again, find new ways to actually be a servant to them. Jesus could have lorded his authority over people at any point in time that he wanted. When he was walking around on the earth, he was the reason why the people around him were actively drawing breath. But he didn't abuse that authority. He instead made himself the lowest, taking the form of a servant. We just heard it in the gospel that I read. Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and that their great ones love to exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. He put on the garments of a slave to wash his disciples' feet. He allowed himself to be hung on a cross like a common criminal between two robbers. And then, only after all of that, only after all of that, was he raised in glory. Suffering and then glory. It's the path of the Christian. It's the path of Jesus. And it's the path that the church is to follow, according to St. Peter. Now, there are some churches where the pastor is the unquestioned authority on everything, where it seems like the entire church exists to serve him and to meet his needs and to expand his platform. It's not what we're supposed to be about. It's not what Peter would tell the, the elders in the church to pursue. And then Peter is laying out the pattern for how all of this is supposed to work because when there are godly elders, there can also be godly followers. Verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And again, this doesn't mean younger in age necessarily. It means younger in the faith. So, you who are, are younger in your faith, be subject to your spiritual elders. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Because, and this is where Peter goes back into the Old Testament to borrow from the book of Proverbs, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So kind of like how in the previous weeks we were talking about the household code. Peter has instructions for various types of people in the church, for wives and husbands, for masters and servants. And here he has instructions for elders and for congregants, or think of it like family leaders and family members. It's the final step of the household code, expanded outward now to include how this house of God is supposed to function. Where there is godly leadership, the people prosper. So, submit to that authority and be led by it. 
But as always, in all things, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is what humbling ourselves to one another, this, this is all about humbling ourselves to one another and to God. And the reason that we do that is because as followers of Christ, we are called to be like him. We are called to humble ourselves, to be servants. It's the way of the cross. Followers of Jesus are called to be humble because Jesus was humble. Leaders in Christ's church are called to be humble because the head of the church, the good shepherd, is humble. We, all of us, priests, bishops, everybody, we are at best under-shepherds. It's a word you'll hear a lot in church leadership. We are under-shepherds. He is the good shepherd, and he was humble. We're called to put others first, to seek the good of others, even to seek the good of our enemies, because Jesus did all those things. That's what looks like light to a dark world. That right there. Seeking the good of people who hate you. That's how the church grows, by, by demonstrating that kind of radical thinking. If this world, if this entire world, this universe and everything in it is, is just a, a cosmic accident, as some would have us believe, if it's just a series of random chances that ended up with all of us being here, then why in the world would I ever want to seek the good of my enemies? Why would I ever want to serve anybody? I mean, honestly, if life is just a random accident, and if, if there's no transcendent meaning other than outside of what we have, like right here and right now, why should I care about anyone other than myself? But if the Bible is true, then all of this is not a cosmic accident. If the Bible is true, there actually is transcendent meaning outside of what we can observe. The Bible is true. There are much larger forces at play in this universe than we created human beings can see with our eyes and hear with our ears. And if Jesus really is what the Bible says he is, then we should look to follow him. We should look to walk his path. Humble yourselves. Don't look after your own worries, the Bible tells us, but instead, cast those worries onto God, the one who created and sustains all of this, because he truly does care for you. Verse 8, be sober-minded and be watchful. Peter said this before in the previous chapter, in chapter 4, verse 11. It must be pretty important because he's saying it here again only a couple sentences later. Be sober-minded and watchful. Or be clear-headed and be clear-eyed. Be self-controlled. And I think in this context, the reason for that is because Peter is saying, this isn't a kid's game that we're playing here. This, all of this stuff that we do, this is not a social club or you know, a decent way to kill a couple hours on a Sunday morning. Because if the Bible is true, then... Friends, there are much larger forces at play in this universe than we created human beings can perceive. When the church gathers for worship, theologians tell us, and I think it's absolutely true, it's a great way to look at it. When the church gathers for worship, it's the meeting place of heaven and earth. 
It's the place where we collectively are closest to God. It's the place where the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man are closest to each other. And that matters very much. Verse 8 again, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. To put it quite bluntly, the devil hates churches. He hates them, and he wants to see them fail. He wants elders who rule out of obligation rather than out of a a willing desire. He wants elders who are greedy. He wants elders who are domineering. And he wants people to not submit to godly authority. Why? Because each one of those is one step closer to getting yet another church to fold. Each one of those is one step closer to getting another outpost of God's kingdom, another, another embassy to fail. Getting yet another church to broadcast to the world the, the meaninglessness and hypocrisy of everything that we say that we believe, which the devil is so desperate to convince the world of. So my plea to you guys is do not give in to that. Do not allow the devil to gain a foothold. In two more weeks, I'm not going to be the pastor here anymore. And if our life is supposed to be all about safety and security, then any change in structure or leadership can be a genuine time to panic. But that's not what our life is about. Because God does not guarantee our safety and security in an earthly way. In fact, Peter tells us, and the Gospels tell us, and the whole Bible tells us, that the life of following God is one of suffering. Safety and security in an earthly sense, is not guaranteed. Now, safety and security in a spiritual sense absolutely is guaranteed. 100%. The end of all of this is known. Look back, if you, if you have your worship guide, flip open to the front cover of it. It tells us, this psalm that we said today, tells us that the followers of God will inherit this earth. We will inherit the land. When Christ returns... All the evil goes away. When Christ returns, everything that's left behind is restored and renewed and redeemed. And we get all of it. And we get to bring all of it into the presence of God and worship Him with it. But in the in-between time, there are no guarantees of the safety and security and longevity of any one elder or any one church. But the confidence that we take is this. The confidence that we take is that God ordains elders in his church and that this church will still have elders. I said at the beginning that I'm just one of the pastors here because I'm a pastor here, but so is the bishop. So just because I'm leaving does not mean that this group is going to be left rudderless. The the bishop is overseeing the Episcopos is episcoposing. And we have what it means. And, and we have our dean. We have the, the pastor of the church that birthed this church who's going to be taking an active role in the success and health of this parish. 
So we have no reason for fear or panic. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Be clear-eyed and clear-minded. My call to you is don't use this change at restoration as a way for the devil to sow division among the people of the house of God. Transitions can often be hard, but they can be harder if you give into a spirit of fear. Transitions can often be hard, but they can be harder if you believe that we ought to have the security and safety of a country club or a social club. Transitions can be hard, but the life that we live following Christ is a life lived following somebody who didn't have a home. Foxes have holes and birds of the, nest, bird, birds of the air have nests. Son of man has nowhere to, li- to leave his head. Our life is a life of transitions. But the safety and security that we have is not in places or things. It's in our shepherd. The safety and security that we have is in our hope, the firm hope anchored in the future that Christ will come back, that Christ will make all things new, that he will gather all of his faithful people together. Let me leave you with this, which is a little bit like that. This is verse 10 of this chapter. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him, not to Satan, not to any elder, not to any leader, to him, to Jesus, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.